Hi, I'm Bob Fisher, guest hosting for Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. As part of our series on building and leading world-class creative teams, we'll be talking to leaders of organizations inside and outside of architecture, but all in industries where creativity means success or failure. Today, we'll be hearing from Lauren Schmidt, a principal at Cone Pedersen Fox. She is the youngest woman in KPF's history to hold that title. During her time at the firm, Lauren has served as designer and manager for some of KPF's most notable and complex New York City projects. On this edition of This is Design Intelligence, she talks about the value and necessity of mentorship and learning on the job, the importance of relationships built on trust, respect, and good communication, and how balancing uniqueness and consistency is key to successful projects and careers. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, Conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. Lauren Schmidt from KPF, welcome to This is Design Intelligence. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. Well, why don't we start out by talking about what your current role is, maybe how long you've had that role, and what your path was to get where you are. Sure. So I am a managing principal at KPF. I have been here just over 18 years and started my journey at KPF actually fresh out of college. I thought it would be a good place to start my career and have a great group of people to learn from, get my license, and then figure out what's what's next from there. And 18 years later, I'm still learning a lot and really excited about the work we do and the people I work with. My role has, since, since I started my career at KPF, I've had my role obviously develop over time, you know, coming in as a, a fresh junior out of college, working on a, a, a variety of projects. I, I had a goal early on that I wanted to get licensed. And so that drove me to, to be able to put it out there that I wanted to try different project types, but also different phases from early design through construction. And I was given the opportunity to do that and work with a number of different design and managing principals in the firm and leaders and different types of projects. I slowly moved into the role of job captain and then from there on to project manager. And I guess it was about it was about seven years ago that I also took a, a bigger role in working with firm-wide resourcing and just the people within the firm. So I, I help with recruiting um, and our staffing across all projects in New York um, with some for our offices abroad as well. And that, that, you know, that gets me across basically every person that works here from speaking with senior staff on projects and what their needs are and what's coming up to speaking with the junior staff and even the, you know, the summer interns and the incoming folks to understand what their goals are and the things that they've really liked to experience and learn because we find if people enjoy what they do, obviously they'll work harder and do better work. So we have the luxury KPF to have a lot of different project types and a lot of different senior, great senior leadership. And so there's an opportunities to sort of allow folks to create their own path here in the firm. And I think that that's one of the things that I was fortunate enough to benefit from and hope to pass that along to everyone I interact with here at the firm. Sure. Well, that that variety and those options are so helpful uh, for people. You mentioned that you were a job captain and then you mentioned going becoming a project manager. 
and I imagine that these roles uh, gave you an opportunity to sort of prepare for the larger firm-wide role that you have today. But what in total was your preparation like? Was it formal? Was it informal? How did the firm help you get ready? Uh, That's a very good question. I I think that KPF is really good at identifying people with potential and giving them the opportunity to be exposed to things that maybe you're not technically prepared or trained for, but with the right support of senior leadership around you, you can learn. I don't want to say on the fly because that's never the case, but you can learn by doing. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's one of the things that we think is true, not just from a leadership scenario, but also becoming an architect. And Mm -hmm. and our firm is structured such that the project team takes a project from the early days of concept design through construction and allowing architects to follow that path of how a building develops from the initial concept through execution gives you a chance to learn how to, how to make that and then repeat the process. So, you know, there was not formal training, but it was working with a lot of really talented folks who have mentored me along the way, who gave me the confidence to take on more responsibility and the authority to sort of take that position within the firm. So there was a lot of learning by watching others demonstrate. I'm sure that there were conversations uh, where, you know, People who were in leadership positions explain to you what they were doing, why they were doing it. It's that kind of thing, sort of learning on the job. Ex- yep, exactly. Yep. Being in me- meetings, sitting at the table with them, re- you know, going through things, hearing how they approach a problem and work through solving it together. And that open dialogue and collaboration really allows for you to, to be able to accomplish a lot, even if you don't at first glance think it's possible. Sure. Well, it, it does put a lot of, or I should say it, it asks uh, quite a bit from the person who is the potential leader, right? You, yes. You've got to bring a lot to the table in order to, uh, to learn in that way. That's, that's very true. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that KPF is really good at spotting potential in younger people or, you know, possible leaders, that sort of thing. What are mm-hmm. the qualities that you look for? Uh, when you're thinking about someone who has leadership potential? The first quality that comes to mind that I, I talk a lot with even, you know, college students about is communication. And, you know, your idea is only as good as how you can describe it and get others to believe in it. And I think that that communication takes a lot of different forms from beautiful renderings that describe a design idea to words in a in a proposal that describe who you are and what you're going to do and and that happens through conversations it happens through written presentations through our through our documentation of drawings right a simple detail if it's making sure that the design intent and the information that's needed to be conveyed is there and it's clear is really important and also none of this happens in a singular environment right we have a team internally in KPF that's working together. We have to interface with our clients, with our consultants on the design side, um, in you know, public authorities when you're going through approvals processes, and then down to the contractor mm-hmm. and the subcontractors. And mm-hmm. that ability to communicate is how you actually turn something into reality. And that's also true for being a team leader, right? You have to listen to others, communicate, and be able to um, get everyone on the same page. Absolutely. And you're, it's so important to be able to communicate with a wide variety of audiences. And just 
the the list of people uh, that somebody has to learn to communicate with that you mentioned plays a wide mm-hmm. range. There are folks who have very different interests. You know, someone who's a designer on a project team within KPF and someone who's a city official, they're going to be coming at a project and they're going to be looking at things from very different perspectives. That's right. Yes. And and the same information can be conveyed in a multitude of ways, depending on who the audience is and what means you have to convey it, right? Are you standing face-to-face with somebody talking through it? Are you looking at something on a drawing? Are you presenting over Zoom, <laughs> right? And so that's a skill that I think, obviously, as, as a human being, you start to learn early on, but you continue to develop and it becomes, I think, very important to support all the other aspects of teamwork and leadership that are, are necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Earlier, you mentioned that you have a role in recruiting talent. You know, attracting and retaining top talent is always front of mind for leaders in architecture and other professional service firms. Tell me a little bit about the kind of talent that you look for, how you go about attracting that talent, and how you go about retaining and developing talent. Yeah, I mean, especially in industries like architecture, uh, the people are your most valuable resource. And so one of the things that, you know, we've spent a lot of time focusing on and, you know, we have room for improvement too, we're not done yet, but is explaining to students who KPF is and the environment that we've created here within the firm and the studio. We spend a lot of time developing relationships with different universities through principals who have who are alumni who have relationships with deans we have a few folks within the firm who are teaching off and on attending reviews that sort of thing but also there's a series of you know we every year we're doing a series of career fairs at universities that we've had these connections with so that we've established a relationship not only with the you know leaders within the university but also a reputation with the student body right and and that's honestly our our best recruitment tool is to have a student come in and have a great internship and then go back to school in the fall and tell others about it. You're building advocates. That's right. Right. And and so we sort of have the career fair approach where we're meeting people and, and hoping to sort of continue to entice others to come and try it out. Um, our summer internship program is, is a great way where we're able to give opportunities to students who are still in school to join our firm and be part of the team. And that really is a a great recruitment tool as well, because then they learn who we are and how we work. So they can make a decision for themselves if this is the type of place they want to be, right? I mean, architects have the benefit of being able to put their education and skill sets to a lot of uh, use at a lot of different capacities and in different environments. And so opening up our doors to folks so they can get a, a taste of what's here is, is a really helpful thing. We also obviously are continuing to look for other avenues where we are able to to meet up with students who are active in the, the ACE mentoring program um, within sort of the New York City area. And I know that's now, I believe, expanded to a lot of different cities too. We also spend a lot of time with our current staff and having them put us in touch with their friends and their classmates and others that they reach out to because you know, the best advertisement is the folks who are here doing the work and they can really, you know, give honest feedback to others. With regards to retaining staff, obviously that's something that all firms are always constantly analyzing and figuring out how they can do a better job. I think 
the most important part is to make sure folks feel satisfied with the work they're doing, feel like they're learning and that they're growing and that they have a place to continue to develop as architects. And so obviously the first thing, first and foremost, is our project teams are structured such that everyone has a voice at the table. You know, this is a collaborative industry and understanding the fact that the best idea can come from anyone is really important. I think that's something that we've was established early on by our founders. And it's something that has really permeated and been one of our important mantras of, mm-hmm. of how we work. And that gives folks the chance to immediately come in and feel like they're part of something and that they have mm-hmm. ownership and responsibility and not, and they also, you know, feel like they can be heard so that their work and all of their efforts, because everyone here is unbelievably talented and hardworking and smart. And you want to feel like they want to feel like they're working towards something, right? And that they have a voice at the table. Um, And then there's, there's a dialogue as they've worked here a little bit and we're continuing to better understand who they are and what their strengths are and what they're interested in. We have a dialogue back and forth from, from a resourcing perspective of what is it they're looking for in this next step? You know, the, field of architecture such that projects stop and start, right? Things are constantly changing and we have to be nimble in order to maneuver with those changes. And so speaking with the staff and having one-on-ones to, to find out, you know, what's driving them, where are their interests lie. Sometimes they're really focused on getting their AXP hours towards licensure. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's really their approach. Others are would like to work in certain typologies or mm-hmm. work with different mentors um, within the firm. So we really try to make those connections and, and weigh those in. And obviously you have to, there's a number of factors as you're trying to staff projects and, and make sure you have a good balance. But knowing those things and having those conversations, I think helps people feel like they have a say in, in their career. Mm-hmm. And so they become more engaged and, and they feel invested. So it it sounds like some of the work that you do in helping resource projects, like you know, allocate certain people to certain projects, kind of feeds into getting to know them in a way that might help with retention. I mean, do those things work together? Absolutely. Yep. It's like full circle. Once you, if you can solve this thing, you're actually tackling a few other um, challenges along the way. So it's. I think it it really you can't do one without the other. Mm-hmm. They're very much entwined. Well, how do you how do you do that at scale though? I mean, KPF has how many people now? In our New York office, we have about 400 architects. We're about 650 total, and you know, our London is the ne- next biggest office and and they have a, a team of leadership that are kind of doing a similar thing, and then our slightly smaller offices in Hong Kong and Shanghai and Singapore those are are led sort of from leadership within New York and London. I, I'm mostly focused on the New York staff um, and then obviously coordinating with my colleagues at the other offices. Yeah. What I was curious about is how, how do you get to know 400 people? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a big mandate. And you know, it, it sounds as though you and everybody at KPF is committed to very authentic relationships. But then the question becomes, well, how do you do that when you're a firm that's as big as KPF is and, uh, you know, has the scale and the impact that that firm does? No, it's a, it's a good question. And, it, you know, 
again, it's, it's like projects and architects. It's not, it's not a single person, right? Uh, there's by no means is it on my shoulders. There's a team that uh, I, I collaborate with my fellow principal, Nick Dunn and director Devin Ratliff and Megan Malone and, and others who are working together on this. I mean, it honestly, it's surprising, but when you're here for a number of years, you sort of, you just keep learning who people are and you learn more about it. So, I mean, <laughs> there's no perfect method yet. A lot of it is in my head. <laughs> right. Well, it it sounds as though it's a natural, there's a natural and organic element to it. Yeah. Yeah. But also it it's something where you can rely on my fellow colleagues too, who are running projects, right? Because the mentorship and leadership starts within the project teams. Those are the immediate mentors for the staff. And so project leaders, both in design and management technical side, like we go to them as resources too, to, to find out more about people. And, and they come to us when they see potential, when they see somebody who they think could be given an opportunity for X, Y, or Z. And so there's that, there's a lot of constant dialogue between leadership. You really can rely on the leaders within the firm across all boards because you know every every project has a, a team that's leading them. And so it's a it's a network. It sounds like a system that's worked well for you. One of the questions that came up in, when you were talking mm-hmm. is this idea of ensuring that people get consistent messages about leadership. Right. So imagine a person who has a lot of potential and they mm-hmm. go through the role of job captain and then they're going to be project manager and they are being informally led by, you know, others within the firm who are kind of showing them the way and teaching them mm-hmm. how to lead. How do you ensure that there's consistency with kind of a KPF way or is there a KPF way? I think that there is a KPF way, but it's not always the same way. And I, I, it's hard to describe it, but I think that the way we lead projects and interact with clients and service our projects is quite consistent, even though no two projects are the same, right? There's always, even if you had the same program in the same city with the same client, there's still going to be different projects. And I think that the consistency comes with a lot of the sort of firm-wide initiatives and goals that we have with regards to, you know, thinking about projects in a sustainable way, being focused on the the local context and creating better urban spaces and having a collaborative design process where you work together to problem solve, listen to the client, think about, you know, op, you know, test options weigh those options and have a dialogue that allows you to work together with your client and the consultant team and you know the authorities were needed to develop a design solution that is going to best service the client and the the urban place that it occupies and the people that will use it for years and years to come that's something that you can you can replicate across all different project types and with different people and i think that there's quite a bit of consistency in that respect we also have more formally we have a mentor mentee program that we want to make sure that folks get paired with people outside of their project team so that allows for a lot of cross pollinization of experience and expertise that can be touched that a lot of junior people can can touch and get into that network um, we have, you know, a peer review process sort of on a QAQC side internally where 
you have a peer review group assigned to your project and they're touching base with you at certain milestones um, and they're not involved in the project. So you're getting that outside experience um, as well as some of the internal organizations with regards to you know our technical group, our young designers forum, our project management group. So you, we try to make sure that folks who are doing similar things are, are talking with each other so that you make sure there's consistency across projects and, and with leadership and training people. Although another aspect, which I think is really important is the fact that you like, there's not one way to do something, right? And there's not, there's not one design solution. You know, we are a design partnership. And so we have design and management and technical leadership that takes a lot of different forms, but there is a consistency that it's all, you know, the KPF way, but everyone has a little bit of a unique twist on what their strengths are and what they're good at and how they contribute to that process. Well, that's very consistent with what you've described before. You know, earlier you were talking about uh, trying to create an environment and a situation where people, you know, have a lot of options. When they come into the firm, Mm -hmm. there's different things that they can do. There's different paths that they can take uh, that they would find fulfilling that would also create, you know, value for the firm and for clients and building users and everybody else you want to, uh, you want to serve. Um, you, you know, and in your description, also, you've talked about some important elements of KPF's culture. Now, you talked about everyone having a voice, just the focus on knowing people as individuals and understanding where they want to go and trying to help them get there. It seems to me that these are really important elements in not only having a consistent KPF way, but also creating a culture where people can be at their highest and best creatively and will want to stay. Tell me about the culture at KPF, how accurate my initial impressions are, and what it is that you do to foster a culture of creativity. I think your initial impression is, is correct. And I think that it's something that started with our with our founders, Gene Cohn, Bill Patterson and Shelley Fox, where it was always a collaborative environment and and they felt everyone had a voice at the table. I I remember my first day at KPF, I got put in a conference room with Bill Patterson and um, Mm -hmm. Trent Tesh, who's now a design principal here as well, for for a competition. And it was literally, I'd been at my job for about two hours. And I was sitting at the conference room table and there was a discussion. This was just starting up and it was a quick two-week sprint. And and Bill Pedersen turned to me and asked my opinion about something. And I was, <laughs> I, was I was speechless for a, f- a few seconds there because I felt to myself, I have no qualifications to even be a, you mm-hmm. know, participating in this. But he was, he was genuine in that he wanted to understand what I thought about it because it could help him continue to develop the design intent and mm-hmm. figure that out. And that's something that really has stuck with me, obviously. But it, I think it's something that has permeated across the culture. and. With that, there is very much uh, an exposure period of time when you first come here where we want you to be exposed to as much as possible and touch a lot of different things to to feel out where you think you fit best or what you enjoy most. And then as you move forward in your career, uh, our teams are structured such that there's a senior designer, a project manager, and a technical coordinator on each project. And you start to get focused on one of those three. But you have the background and the experience of knowing what all those things are together so that at any point in time, as a project manager, I've certainly given design presentations when I needed to step in for my colleague or, you know, 
I'm on site talking with contractors and it's important to go back to the basics of like what the design decision was early on, what the conversation was with the client that you need to pitch in on. And I think that that that's something that's really important and it allows folks to have a chance to feel out where they think their strengths are and then start to make a decision for themselves about where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like a very inclusive kind of approach. And in addition to the kind of inclusiveness, you know, like when you were asked on your first day uh, what you thought of a major project opportunity, um, what, are, what are other ways that you and others in the firm inspire the best in the design and creative professionals? I mean, you guys have been at this since 1976 and have a global reputation as one of the best design firms out there. Mm-hmm. I think that it starts with having really great projects and clients that give us amazing opportunities. And from that, I think folks here are just excited about the work that they're doing. And from that enthusiasm is generated an ownership and responsibility of the work that they're doing. Our teams, we really try to focus the work and and make sure that people are given a piece that they can call their own. And obviously that varies as you move up in your years of experience, but even a junior can be given an assignment that's focused on a component of a much larger project that they can operate at that scale and understand what it is with with leadership and and, uh, feedback loops, given a chance to, to look at that. And I think there's also a big focus to really not have one way to do something and test all of the opportunities that are out there from whether it be softwares that that we're using, um, materials that we're studying, construction techniques, the latest and greatest across all of the design disciplines that we get to collaborate with, whether it be lighting or acoustics or, you know, structural engineering and having the inspiration of, of those really talented collaborators helps drive that enthusiasm too. Yeah. It it was interesting to me because one of the first things that you said was having great projects and clients was Mm -hmm. an important component of inspiring the best in design and Mm -hmm. creative professionals. Uh, which leads right to the ability to have the ability to win the right kind of work and influence the clients that you have, um, which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily one of the things that people, I don't always see people making that connection between the ability to win work and actually inspiring the best and being the best design firm that they can possibly be. And I also think that there's, you know, in every project, there's an opportunity to push your client to think about design in a different way, to be able to understand the opportunity and value, frankly, that design can bring to the built environment, you know, that that has a lot of different forms of how that happens. And I think that we are very fortunate to develop great relationships with our clients when we service projects well and show them how valuable design is that they then come back for more. And so you get new opportunities and and maybe it's things that are a little bit different than what you've done before, but because you've established this level of trust and respect with a client, they'll give you that chance to take the next step. And I think that, you know, as an example, some of the repositioning projects that we've gotten recently, you know, they, they started with clients who had done ground ups before, and then it's sort of like 
hmm, maybe could you guys just take a look at this and give us your thoughts? Like, do you what do you do you see value here? And then you know, I've I've had the good fortune of working on a few repositioning projects recently that have been I just think are great opportunities to a you know ca- capture value where it already exists, but b have uh, I don't want to call them constraints because I don't see it as a negative, but have sort of rails that you have to work within to be able to really push what good design is and what you can get out of something. Oh, yeah. Long ago, I had an art teacher who said, uh, creativity is the child of discipline. You know, I'm I'm all about, you know, having constraints being, you know, actually rocket fuel for great creativity. Yes, exactly. So there's a paradox that Everybody who's in leadership within an architecture firm or any kind of firm where creativity is kind of the, the, the make or break generator of value. And this paradox is about generating high-level creativity, which is, I would say, an inherently nonlinear process. But you also have to run a business. You know, you've got to make that creativity repeatable and predictable. And that gets into areas like processes and schedules and structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that, those two seemingly opposing things, you know, process and structure and constraints with the kind of creative thinking that brings uniqueness to projects? I think that it's a, a balance that you have to work on every day, to be honest, right? Even if you're in, in a project itself and trying to balance those, what seemingly are opposing forces. But if you approach things with an open mind and think about the fact that creativity takes a lot of different forms and that our goal is really to find solutions that fit the specific project, the specific client, the specific site. You can start to feed off of what may be seen as constraints to inspire creative ways to do things. And that that's true of like a pro- project itself, but also of how we execute projects and, and the process of from early design through documentation through execution. Again, it goes back to the collaboration and and sort of the dialogue that exists between teams, but also amongst the firm where we're able to find opportunities to push a certain aspect forward. For example, you know, some complex geometry that we're looking at how to script to make it more efficient to replicate and adjust and then work through panelization optimization for being able to describe what our design is to our client and to the contractors. And there's a lot of different ways that creativity comes into play besides just, you know, your pen on a napkin sketch sort of thing. Sure. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the natural friction of the creative process, right? When you have highly creative people, You've got folks who have strong points of view. You've got folks who are emotionally invested in what they're doing. And sometimes those points of view can be at odds. The kind of friction that I'm talking about is something that, if managed right, seems like it's a, a great addition to the to the creative process. But there's a whole lot of ways that that can go sideways. So how do you how do you work with teams around, you know, the natural friction that can come up? among creative professionals who are working together in teams. What you've said is, is spot on because that f- that friction is something that inspires more creativity, but it can also blow up in your face if not managed carefully, right? Mm-hmm. Just like yes. projects in life. I think that the first way to help 
make sure that that energy gets put in a good direction is about a level of trust and respect for your colleagues and knowing that, you know, even if you disagree, it's okay to have different opinions and and that you should hear each other out. You know, listening is also a big part of communication. And that's something that we try at all levels to make sure is, mm-hmm. is an important part of how we work together. And I think that the level of respect and experience of of people around you and even, you know, the newer staff is how you start to form a dialogue that allows for that friction to be turned into something that's good. So again, it's back to the quality of relationships. Yeah. Yes, I think that's true. Let's talk a little bit about your own personal philosophy and style in leadership. Are there any influences in your leadership philosophy or style that come from outside of architecture? I am a big volleyball player, and I have been (laughs) my whole life. Um, I played in college and, and afterwards and still do. And you don't really think about it at the time, but I do think that the team aspect of sports, in my case, volleyball, was an important way to learn how to work with others and to Mm -hmm. lead through example and also through good communication and, you know, showing dedication and and being able to handle confrontation and different, differing opinions and that sort of thing. And and for me, that was, has actually been, I think a good training grounds for what was come ahead in, in the architecture world. Well, you're also dealing with high pressure situations and directly competitive situations. So yes. it, it yeah. makes sense that there would be a lot of good lessons to learn. So context is important, though, right? Uh, leading in the context of a, a sports team and leading in the context of an architecture and design firm is different. Um, mm-hmm. What do you feel is unique about a leadership within the context of an architecture and design firm like KPF? The biggest thing to remember, I feel, is that you always have something to learn. And when you approach situations and challenges in that respect, it allows you to be more open and honest about taking in information, distilling it, analyzing it, and having the conversations to move things forward. I think that that's a very important aspect of how we handle all challenges, right? And, you know, you have to come in with open ears to make sure that you're seeing all sides because there's always more than one way to approach any sort of problem or challenge. and being able to accept that early on gives others the the comfort level that you're hearing what they're saying and you're taking it into account. What do you like to do when you're outside of work? What's life for you outside of your role as a managing principal at KPF? Well, currently involves juggling a lot of children <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, playing some volleyball and enjoying nature. Kids can burn a lot of energy in the outdoors, so we spend a lot of time outside in the parks of New York City and also, you know, in the forests of New York State. So <laughs> it's kind of a combination of all those things. It sounds it sounds like a high-energy life. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, Lauren, I really appreciate you spending some time with us and uh, giving us your thoughts on leadership at KPF and within creative organizations. It's been a real honor to speak with you. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for this edition of This is Design Intelligence. The producer is Laura Spells. The sound engineer is Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.